The internet device explosion that we've seen over the past 10 years uh, helped create a, an internet addressing problem, but for the most part, companies are able were able to safely migrate from IPv4 to IPv6, but several challenges remain. On this episode of Today in Tech, we're going to ask the question, why are we still talking about IPv4, and does it matter? Hi, everyone. Welcome to Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Joining me in studio is Lee Howard. He is the Senior Vice President at IPv4 Global. Uh, welcome to the show and welcome to the studio, Lee. Well, thanks for being here. Thanks for letting me come in. All right. So I'm, I'm an old school networking guy. I worked for Network World for several years. So um, I do love this history of IPv4 and the migration to IPv6. It reminds me of the days of the kind of the Y2K mm -hmm. uh, issues where there was a lot of people in the tech industry going panic, not right. panic, but going warning, bit. warning, warning, you know, yeah. danger Will Robinson type of things. So, um, you know, I thought that maybe three or four years ago that we sort of solved the problem. So why, why, you know, why are we here talking about IPv6? If, like, did something happen that I missed, basically? You know, it's funny because I was having a conversation just a month or two ago with a colleague of mine who I'd worked with when I was doing IPv6 at a large network. Yeah. And, and, he, and we hadn't talked in a couple of years. And he said, you're working on IPv4 stuff? I thought we'd solve that. Like, what, what happened? What's, it, what's going yeah. on? So I think kind of the, the where we sit right now is a lot of companies have deployed IPv6. You go to Google and Yahoo and Facebook and LinkedIn, they're all IPv6 and it works great. You go to um, uh, Twitter and some maybe some of your favorite adult sites and uh, they don't necessarily have IPv6. And so there's still content out there that hasn't deployed IPv6 yet. And it seems like they sort of think it's somebody else's problem. Like, we have enough addresses. Like, mm -hmm, why should mm -hmm. we migrate to IPv6? It's a little work for us. So that's what's still, there's still this gap of, if you only have IPv4, you can't speak to something that only has IPv6. And so people are kind of have to do both, the, the, the dual stack solution. Right. Let's talk a little bit, just in case the audience doesn't um, remember what IPv4 is, or you know, explain it to my grandmother type of thing. Go back to as far as you need to in terms of the history of the internet. So the you know, networking is about connecting devices. Like yeah. what a device can send data to another device. The, the network technology, the protocol that defines the, the, the vocabulary and the, the, the grammar that they use to speak to each other is the internet protocol. And that includes an address that uniquely defines a device so that you can send, send out a packet of data to this destination address. Right. And the internet figures out how to get it there. Really, I mean, this is the stuff that I love. This is sort of why I got into this field. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> when the first IPv4 spec was written, I think it was 1978, finally published in 1980. There weren't many computers in right, the world. Right? Right. So it was, it was pre-PC you know, boom. And so... Like mainframes and... Mainframes you know, terminals and terminals. You know, crazes, supercomputers, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, and so at that time, it seemed like, hey, they said almost arbitrarily, 4.3 billion possible addresses will be enough. It's 32 bits. It's, a, you know, it's enough addresses sure. for the foreseeable future. But it was kind of just a test. Like, they had just been doing tests to see how intercommunication could work. Well, then we had PC Boom, and we had AOL and Prodigy, and then we had, you know, sort of generic online services pop up. Yeah. And so we, we outgrew the IPv4 space. Is that when a lot of the, the technology people in the space, especially in the networking, started to realize, like, oh, we're going to run out if, if this yeah. continues? This was long even before smartphones and other mobile devices that really took yeah. off. And Cisco with the Internet of Things, and now every device would need an IP address. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Even, even as early as 1992, People said, hey, at the rate of growth that we have, we, we need to worry. Like, we're going to run out eventually. Mm -hmm. And so they did a couple of things. They invented network address translation so multiple devices can share one IPv4 address. Yeah. They invented CIDR so you could say not just, 
you, you could do more granular allocation of blocks instead of just large blocks. You could sort of divide up uh, smaller, and that bought us a lot of time. And then they deployed, they developed IPv6. And I wasn't, I was on the internet at the time, but I wasn't part of the team that was doing that. Right. And so it felt like, okay, great. Now we have a plan. And then, you know, and it was working. Like we <clears throat> we bought ourselves a lot of years. And in the early two thousands, we started seeing smartphones, and mm-hmm. you know, things started really growing from there. And there's this hockey stick of deployment. Um, and and actually, many of the, the the mobile carriers were some of the first to deploy IPv6. They said we we have to translate every packet from you know IPv4 private IPv4 to public IPv4. Yeah, we'd be better off if we could do IPv6. And so we had the World IPv6 launch and World IPv6 Day um, in the early 2010s, and those are great efforts. If you look around now, I mean, Google reports you know IPv6 statistics, and there's something 45 percent of the world reaches Google sites over IPv6, right? And, and more than 50 percent of the U.S. So that's that's pretty good. Were, were the workarounds, uh, you know, the, the network address translation and some of these other workarounds that were in, um, deployed early on to slow down the, the, the rate of running out of addresses, did it work almost too well? So yeah. now you've got people relying on it. It was like, well, I don't need to worry about it. Like you said, I don't need to worry about it. It's not my issue. It's someone else's problem. I, I, there's definitely a, a strong argument to be yeah. made there. Yeah. So the, it's, um, they worked effectively. You know, everybody's used to having that in their home now. You know, gamers have figured out how to get around it, which is pretty sophisticated stuff to me. Yeah. Um, but, it's, but so it worked long enough that we, we sort of lost our sense of urgency. Um, there's also the way the IPv6 protocol was designed was to be, they called it, you know, talked about chips in the night where you can have dual stack and everybody will, by the time we run out of IPv4, everybody will have deployed IPv6, we're all set, but they forgot to bake in additional incentives to make sure... Everybody, you know, has a reason to deploy IPv6. Right. We, you know, the, the biggest problem with IPv6 is people saying it's somebody else's problem. And even when we talk about run out, it's run out for whom? I can go talk to somebody who's had a slash 16, 65,000 addresses for 30 years, and they say, eh, you know, I could sell some IPv4 addresses, but why would I, you know, right. I don't want you to sell all of them, and why would I deploy IPv6? I'm, I'm fine. So, so where are the big blocks of IPv4 hmm. addresses now? Do, are there still a lot of companies or organizations that are holding on to these addresses or, uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, where, where are you seeing the people holding on to them? Yeah, it's, um, so I kind of mentioned before we did the, the finer detailed granu- yeah. granular assignment, you could only get blocks in, in a group of 256 addresses uh-huh. or 65,536 addresses or 12 million addresses. <laughs> sorry, sorry 16, 16.7 million addresses. So, and it was basically eight bits, 16 bits, uh, 24 bits. So there's a reason for those numbers, <clears throat> but that's not very granular. If you need a thousand addresses, getting 65,000 kind of wastes a lot. Sure. So where you go is you go and look at who had allocations from back in the 80s and 90s. And it tends to be, you know, you're not terribly surprised. Oh my goodness, look at all the addresses that HP has or Apple has, or even Ford Motor Company has a lot of addresses. Yeah. They've got those huge blocks. But then a lot of the early companies that were on the, the ARPANET or the NSF net. Um, which includes colleges and universities, they tend to have a lot of addresses too. And so a school with 4,000 students maybe doesn't need 65,000 addresses. Those, that's, that's my favorite. Those are the ones that are pretty easy to make a, discuss, uh, a conversation about, hey, how can we help out the students with a little bit of money here? Right. And, and when we were talking before the show, I, you know, I, I felt like when you were telling me that, yeah, there might be a college that has, they only need 4,000 addresses, but if they've got 65,000, um, it felt like to me, it's like, are they hoarding them? Are they, are they thinking like, at some point I'm going to need them? Or is it something else? And I think, that, you know, you, you told me it was probably something else, that it's not a hoarding mentality. Well, it, it's a little bit of both. It's okay. a little bit of, look, there's no holding cost. It's not costing me any money to sit on these, especially as IP addresses have been the price of them in the market has been rising. 
people say, well, I'm just going to hold on until we hit peak. Well, in some ways we might have hit peak already. So maybe, maybe that's not the great decision. And yeah. you got to wonder, like, how will you even know? But so it's, it's a couple of things. It's also, there's a little bit of work. Like if you're used to having 65,000 addresses, then you're kind of used to using um, the, the slash 24. You're just kind of used to using a set, set configuration of 256 addresses on every subnet that you have in your network. And you get used to that. It's easy. Right. So going back and renumbering devices, it's a little bit of work that people kind of, well, yeah, I've got other work to do. You know, I've, I've got stuff on my plate. Right. And so until there's an incentive for them, they kind of say, I don't really, I don't really care. Right. And, and, and there was also some inventory tracking issues that you were telling me about oh, too. It's like, yeah. you know, I guess you know if you had a list of of uh, addresses allocated to you forty years ago, you probably are tracking this through a spreadsheet, a spreadsheet, or you know, or even if paper, that, right, right. notebook and paper, right? So you know, poetically, the original yeah. allocations were given out by John Postel, who's uh, who was the, <laughs> the initial guy, and he famously had a spiral notebook that was oh, wow. how he was tracking them. Um, yeah, amazing track. Put that in a museum if you still I want have that it, right? in Smithsonian. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, but it's a uh, so so you know you describe if it's forty years, it's not the same person. I mean, is right. it the same notebook. Anyway, right? Were you even using <laughs> Excel back in the day? You were using Peachtree or something, yeah. right? So you know, where are those records? Do you where think that that universities then or colleges that would that they might not even realize that they have a lot of these, or is it they know and they're just they're just it's it's low on the on the list of things the, to do. The IT guys know. I yeah. mean, the, the IT team they they're using the IP addresses. They're they're managing the, the 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 dynamic assignment pools. They know it's there. Yeah. The CIOs I'm sure have been hit up by a lot of brokers saying, "Hey, you've got this money," and they say, "I don't care." But the CFOs, the president, the provost, whoever they might not know that there's value there. Um, but then again, they also don't know what an IP address is, so it kind of wouldn't necessarily make sense in the early days of this market. A broker would call up somebody and say, hey, you're sitting on a million dollars. And they'd go, great, it's a Nigerian print scheme, right? It's like, this has <laughs> got to be a scam. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, if five or 20 people call you and say, well, maybe there's something in this. I should look into it. So be- because of this <laughs> issue with a lot of these different addresses, you, you now have a situation where you have almost a supply and a demand, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, and didn't that, that created now a trading and selling market? Talk a little bit about that, because when again, I was fascinated by this when you were yeah. telling me, about, it, 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 which is like it, it, it sounds like crypto for the really, really, <laughs> really not cool people. Or it, the- <laughs> it absolutely astonished me. So I was on the board of Aaron, which is the registry for North America of IP addresses. I was yeah. on the board when we were talking about, uh, hey, we're, we are actually Aaron's going to run out of addresses to give to organizations. And what are we going to do then? And people said, well, there's going to be a market. And we said, that's not allowed by policy. And it's a public policy process. Anybody can participate. And so there's some really heated arguments about you have to allow a market. And other people saying, well, but, but people were given these addresses for free 20, 30, 40 years ago. That's, that's, that's gross. Like, why should people be getting a lot of money <laughs> right. this thing that, you know, that, that they got for free? That's not right. That's not, a, that's not internet-y. Right. Um, and, and so finally, what kind of convinced me is, well, all right, if I've got a if somebody has to renumber or do work in order to make addresses available for somebody who needs them, who's paying for the work? Yeah. You're just going to do it out of the goodness of your heart? Well, that's very generous of you. And actually, Stanford University famously gave away a slash eight, 16 million addresses. Very generous. How long ago was that? Oh, it was yeah. 15, 20 years ago. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That was a while. That was, that before, was before, they realized the was, before they realized yeah. how much value was in them? Exactly. It was yeah. Before there was a market for it. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was the kind of thing that was absolutely consistent with the ethos of internet development was we're going to, we help each other out. Yeah. And so, uh, so that was sort of part of what convinced me, yeah, we're going to have to allow, you know, Aaron doesn't care if you're getting paid or just, you know, making it up in smiles. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. They just want to know that the addresses are being used by whoever needs them. It's just about stewardship for them. Yeah. And that's finally what convinced me to allow it. So yeah, there were 
companies still growing their networks, and there's companies that had more addresses than they needed, and so that's you know that's that's sort of how market naturally develops. Is there is there a central kind of market like a stock market like the you'd see in the stock exchange, but then you also have Nasdaq and you have other other different trading. Yeah. So are there a number of different I, brokers? I, I don't even know what the, what that, the right that's terminology exactly, that's, is. Well, that's what the, most people say. That's, that's the right word most yeah. people say. So Aaron has a qualified facilitator list. They used to have a list of brokers, which is basically anybody who said, hey, I'm a broker, and you could raise your hand and pay, yeah. them, I don't know, $1,000, and they'd say, okay, you're a broker, and we'll put you on the site. Okay. They got some complaints. Yeah. Because so, <laughs> something bad happened? or Something bad happened, yeah. or people were just misrepresenting the policies or okay. just were being dishonest. And so Aaron, uh, mid, middle of 2022, no, sorry, 23, we just entered 24, middle of 23, Aaron announced a qualified facilitator program. Um, and so my company was one of the first. Um, there's only there's now down to a handful of, uh, of brokers there, but it's people who can demonstrate they know something about the market. They sign a, a letter of ethics, so like a couple of statements. They do background checks on their staff. So there is a qualified facilitator list, but that's just in in North America. The Ripe Registry has has just said, you know, we had this list of facilitators. We were getting complaints. We're just going to delete the list. We're not going to maintain that list anymore. Oh. Yeah. So how do you find a broker in if you're in Europe? Yeah. Well, uh, it's kind of good luck. You know, we're, we're also there. Okay. Um, and then there are brokers in you know in, in every region. Um, there's no central. So each of the continents has the central registry: Aaron, Ripe, APNIC, Afrinic, Lacnic. Um, but <clears throat> there's no central market. Um, IPv4 Global is probably the largest, and so we've got hundreds of blocks available for sale. Okay. Um, um, yeah. when, how, give me a sense of how long this has been going on, like past 10 years, past 20 years, 10 years yeah, 10, okay. Past 10 years. When, when this initially started out, was there, um, spikes in prices ups and down? Yeah. Was it kind of like the wild west and now it's, it's flattened out a little it, bit? Or? It absolutely was. So yeah. there, <clears throat> there were maybe some background trades that nobody knew about. The first one I think was 2011 where Nortel was in, Northern Telecom was, was in bankruptcy and Microsoft bought the addresses out of bankruptcy. And Aaron kind of had to scramble and say, oh, we better have a policy to allow for this if, if, we're, if we're going to allow this. Sure. So we had a policy for it. Um, but because it was in bankruptcy, the, the proceeds, the amount, was made public. And it was $11 an address. And in retrospect, why they pick 11? Nobody knows. It's just sort of all over the place. Nobody knows. Because <laughs> it's two ones. It's, it's very two ones. It's very easy. Exactly. Well, oh, nice. One. Nice. <laughs> it was binary. Yeah. Perfect. Um, and so then there were other transactions that happened that nobody knew what the prices were, and they weren't just weren't published anywhere. Yeah. So I heard stories of three dollars an address and twenty five dollars an address in the same month. That you know that sounds that's all over the place. Yeah. In twenty fourteen, um, Hilco Stream Bank launched launched their online marketplace, and one of the things they did was immediately say we're going to publish the transaction price for everything on the marketplace. And there weren't very many at first, but it's really funny if you go plot the prices that we, that we know about historically. And then you see the publication online. Suddenly, everybody has the same information, and the prices converge. It's no longer 15, 25, 4. It's now all of a sudden, everybody's at 10 or 11 or $12 yeah. within a buck or two. And so, that's, so that really, you know, publishing that information at IPv4.global really um, gave everybody the same information. So it really made the market more honest and transparent. Is, is, is it now uh, about $11, which is about the, the price that Nortel sold? Oh, my gosh. So. Or so you know, no, 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 it's okay. Not. All right. In, yeah. What's the value of now? Is I, I'm just asking about IPv4. Like, right. what's the value of one so, address? I guess. I can tell you a little story. Sure. It's, it's fascinating to me. Yeah. So, pandemic shut down. Like everything, everything changed, right? Um, and kind of the market kind of stood still for a little while. Kind of everybody was holding their breath. Mm -hmm. um, 
And then 2021, we sort of came, was that right? Yeah, we came, sort of came back to work. Some thought, of us. <laughs> thought we, we thought we were coming back yeah. to work. And, and so a lot of network projects that had been put on hold suddenly got relaunched. Right. And as they're relaunching those projects, they go, oh, hey. We need addresses. We need addresses. Yeah. But the projects that weren't being relaunched right away were the ones to free up addresses. <clears throat> so there was a scarcity. And so in 2021, prices went from about 24, they sort of been gradually increasing about 10% per year. They went from $24 to an address to $50 an address in one year. Doubled in a year. Incredible. And then 2022, they sort of flattened and eased a little bit. And then in 2023, we saw this. Oh, one of the things that changed in 2022 also, though, was we saw where, slash, where large blocks have been uh, trading at a discount per address. We usually talk about per address prices. Yeah. They were trading a discount. Hey, I'm buying in bulk. I want a bulk discount. But any large block can be broken into smaller blocks. So it kind of didn't make sense. So okay. large sellers said... Why would I sell you a large block at a discount if I can sell two people a smaller block, smaller box for more money? Right. right. So that so prices which had been you know going one direction kind of converged with the other direction, and so then in 2023, large blocks were very consistently in the mid 50s per address, whereas all the smaller blocks kind of came down and came down and came down. We've seen thirty dollars per address recently. Of course, the changes you know month over month, um, actually day over day. Um, yeah, and, and, and even though that IPv4 addresses are a limited resource because you've only got so many addresses, it's not like uh, physical, like if you've got a big block of uh, yeah, right. rock, right? because you have to build into the price the, 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 the cost of shipping it and right. all this there's, stuff. All you're talking is just electrons here, right? Right, right. there's no whole, it, yeah. it's an integer. So right? that's why the, the, the big bulk number is the same as your smaller block. Exactly, yeah. they're, they're just the same. The only, well, so for a buyer, there's a little bit of a difference where... If I've got to go configure this, these addresses I bought, you know, I've got to do 250 lines of configuration yeah. or one line of configuration. And it matters a little bit, um, especially if you're buying millions of addresses at a time. You don't want to do tens of millions of lines. That just, you know, you start to run into scalability problems. Right, right. Uh, have, have and, and this, is this market only for IPv4 or do yeah. you see some IPv6 trading? Yep. Every, and, and, and the next question is, is, are IPv6 addresses still allocated for free by the... By the Aaron. But so it, there wouldn't be a market if you've got a, now you've got a glut of, of addresses. You don't need to do this trading. That's exactly right. It's, okay. it's, it's, it's the same question. Is we, we get people from time to time saying, hey, so you, can you sell my IPv6 block? And I say, why? Why would you want why to? Why would you sell right? yeah. Because buyers can go to Aaron or Ripe or whoever and get them for essentially for free. Hmm, okay. So does this, does this mean that this market will eventually just kind of go away? Or is you, do you foresee like a long future for this? You know, I do think that eventually the market will ebb. And the question is whether it's in 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. But I don't think it's going to go away entirely. Because I think for a long time, we're going to have pockets of IPv4 only. And we're going to have places that people still want to get to at least some. And so growing networks will still need some addresses. They may be IPv6 only doing some kind of network address translation to the rest of the IPv4 world, but they still need IPv4 to get to okay. the IPv4 world. It, it, the market may shrink, but I don't think it's going to collapse and that, completely. And long. that's probably also the reason that we're never going to see 100% adoption of IPv6 then, too, right? You're going to see, uh, you know, you said, what, 50% of right. the world is now IPv6? Yeah, about 45% according And it's going to just yeah. keep slowing down and down. Mm-hmm. Like, where right. do you see that number eventually settling? Yeah, so I think... so deployment curves of new technology tend to look like an S, right? Yep. So you've got a, a slow ramp at the beginning, and then suddenly you've got an escalation, and, yep. and then it sort of tapers off at the top. And so it'll, it'll probably look like that in the long run. Um, what I kind of think about, though, is when, if you're an ISP, or even if you're an, an, a, you know, just running an, an IT shop at a, a corporate network, 
when 98% of the stuff that your users want to reach is available over IPv6, do you still worry about your IPv4 infrastructure? Or do you say, you know what? Can we get away without that last 2%? Is anybody going to scream at me? Am I going to lose my job? Right. Or are there substitutions? Are there other places we can go? And you, they may be IPv6 only in, inside the network and then doing that address translation, which is a great solution. I know there are millions of people in the U.S. already sitting like that. Right. But as, as, the, as we look at the migration from IPv4 to IPv6, does... Is that 50% number good enough right now, or do you think that it needs to get – like, we should still talk about migration we should in still, the tech space, we should and, still. and why should we still if, – if, if it feels like so we've, we've hit what we need to hit? 50%, it, it's not, it's not <clears throat> static, right? Okay. It's, it's been growing pretty linearly for the past uh, five or six years. It, you know, it's sort of that, that S-curve. We're in that, that long, slow, middle part of the S-curve right now. Okay. And so – it's a pretty linear growth. Um, what's kind of uh, the reason, actually, if you look at you know, google.com slash IPv6, they show you their, their numbers. And it's this funny kind of zigzaggy line where during the week, it's a little bit lower and on weekends, it's a little bit higher. And we sort of, why is it such a fuzzy line like that? During the week, you're at work. A lot of corporate offices haven't bothered with IPv6. On the weekend, you're at home or you're on your phone, and the residential ISPs and mobile networks have mostly deployed IPv6. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. there's still getting that corporate network, getting those those guys to 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 get to the space where they're seeing the other advantages, and they say this is worth putting some time into. But is there any there? There's nothing catastrophic on the horizon that would suggest, oh my God, there's going to be something where you're going to really really need it. No, no, point. no. Like, okay. so, <laughs> or, or is it just a matter of well, it'll be irritating because yeah. it'll take some additional work from your IT team to do something. Or... Right. So the, that's that's kind of the, yeah. the easy answer is no. Okay. But the interesting way that the way that I try to get people to think about it is when will there be something that you need IPv6 in order to be able to do? Right. And and I ask that question. People say, oh, not for five or ten years. Okay. How long will it take you to deploy IPv6? Five to ten years. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. What is the big the big need for IPv6 then? Is it an application? You know, can you translate that to an application scenario, or is it more just really deep? There's deep in the weeds. I mean, tech it, stuff? most of it is probably deep in the weeds tech yeah. stuff. There's well, so one interesting one though is the the latency. So the the amount of time it takes a packet to get from one into another is just a little bit lower over IPv6 on average than over IPv4. And I've done some digging, and I think that it's because if you have an Android phone, it doesn't require apps to use IPv4. It, they can use or IPv6, six. Yeah. right? So it'll translate from IPv4 to IPv6 in the handset. And so that's just a software process on your phone that's probably adding a couple of milliseconds of latency. And so um, do that over you know, dozens of transactions to pull down a website, and you're getting a little bit better performance out of IPv6. Okay. And, you know, I so can see. That, it's, it's, so speed yeah. is a little bit. And it's just man, it's you know, a 10 or 15% difference. It's not a huge difference, but it's enough that if you're really worried about optimizing your network performance, your web performance. Or <laughs> the, the, the reason I'm chuckling in, in my head is that we got a comment on one of our videos where we were talking about, uh, I think, Wi-Fi 6 versus Wi-Fi 7. Right. And I made a comment about, well, I've got my PlayStation set up to the, the Wi-Fi network. And they're like, no, 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 it should be broadband because of gaming latency. And, you know, where, the, where, where some of these people are really focused oh, yeah. on milliseconds and microseconds of... Oh, absolutely. Of latency, that could be related to an IPv4 versus IPv6 thing, right? You get shot before you even see somebody. <laughs> that is not okay, man. Well, <laughs> That's not yeah, right. Yeah, I, who knows at that point. Um, all right, so we were talking earlier about 
um, the, the guy with the spiral notebook. And, right. and then I'm, I'm assuming that a lot of people then just went to Excel spreadsheets and, yep. and tracking that way. Um, but there must be better ways of, oh, yeah. of tracking these addresses now. What else developed? Was it, was it just better software, yep. better um, automated type of things? People developed some, some dedicated software. The acronym is IPAM for IP Address Management. Very yep. clever, right? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's like these tech geeks are good at, at acronyms, right? They certainly are. So they, yeah. so they developed IPAMs. Um, and eventually sort of said, hey, we know we should integrate our IP addressing um, tool, our address management tool, which keeps track of which address is assigned to which device on the network and which subnet on the network. Um, that ought to be connected to our dynamic allocation pool, our DHCP pool. So they, they you know, IPAM vendors built that in, and they built in connectors to DNS. So, you, oh, this address has this name. Um, and so now it's called DDI for DHCP, DNS, and, and IPAM. Um, but there's still... If I, can, if I kind of think where you're going on this, it's a lot of people don't necessarily, if you've changed teams over three or four years, or you've done a lot of M&A, yeah. there's a lot of addresses you may not trust your IPAM. It's just as good as your record keeping. So we developed a tool. Um, okay, now I don't want to give you a commercial for this. I'm excited. All right. All right. So there's so a, there you can do tool, audits. There are tools available that tools can available. do audits and things like yeah, that. Yeah, no, they're, okay. they're audits. And, and, it, okay. and it's actually, it's more complicated than you might think, but yeah. it's also, it's not that hard. It's mostly just legwork. Okay. Um, at the the question that I wanted to then get to is is and you touched upon this a little bit as well is you, you know let's say you're an academic organization and you've got you're you're pretty convinced that you'll never need more than five thousand and now you're sitting on a block of sixty thousand or whatever I'm just making up numbers. Um, how do you get people to understand that there's there's value in there if you go into these markets? Um, and and is it is it safe enough for an organization to enter one of these markets, um, or do they feel like that they might get they don't want to jump in because they're like, well, I might, it might be a Nigerian prince right, type of right. scam. Um, do you see scams going on out there, or or do, do you feel confident that the way that the infrastructure is set up now, they can sell it? And again, the value of this is now you're you're giving money to an organization where they might not have had one before, right? Or a company even that, that might be like short of revenue for anybody. A like, year. Oh, I mean, you totally see that all the time. Is hey, yeah. it's end of quarter. We need to hit some numbers. <laughs> so let's go sell some of our, but our digital the, numbers. <laughs> right, but also the enrollment cliff. You know, post pandemic, all a lot of schools are going. Hey, we're having some budget shortfalls, and yeah. so bringing a little bit of cash really helps them. Absolutely. Um, I don't know if I'd say there are scams. There, I mean, I definitely hear stories about some brokers are more or less scrupulous than others. And so that's something to sort of maybe talk to a couple if you're, if you're considering that space, because you want to be comfortable that you're not getting a hard sell and not being, you know, sort of over-promised. Yeah. Are, are, is there space for startups in this space to kind of hold the hand of people that want to sell, buy and sell? And again, without mentioning your company no, no, or other companies. Like so, so there are a couple of, yeah. of startups that are doing things to help people make their addresses available for sale. Um, and so... And so there are, there are a couple of companies already doing that. I don't think any of them is making a, a, a killing at it yet. I think there's, because really when you start to look at, and I found this when I was trying to do IP6 consulting, is I found that when you start to look at this, the problem that you have, you yeah. say, oh, you know what? This isn't actually hard. It's just legwork. I don't need to pay somebody else to do grunt work for me. I just need to get it done and I'll figure out my own timeline. So I think there's, there's not a ton of room there. In terms of brokers, well, like I said, there's, you know, there were a hundred and you know, there probably still are over a hundred. Um, so there's plenty out there. Um, is, 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 a new, is a new startup going to provide extra value that somebody else is providing? Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, all right, I want to jump uh, again to this is now just a, a dumb question by me. Um, we went from four to six. What happened to five? <laughs> and so, is that a dumb question? No, no, no. The, 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 there was an IPv5. Okay. Um, but it wasn't an internet protocol in the same sense that IPv4 and IPv6 are, are addressing protocols that, that okay. include the IP addresses. Okay. <clears throat> and I, 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 is, this, is this like IEEE type, type stuff that, it, that we're talking about? It's, it's IANA, is yeah. the Assigned Numbers Authority. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So they, they assigned the number because they were told to, I guess, by IETF or something. And, and yeah, that, that's, that's, that's how that came about. So, all right. So we went from four to, so we, there was four or five, but five had nothing to do with right. the addressing. Six is now your addressing. Um, is there going to be a seven and eight, et cetera, et cetera? Or is it, are we done with these addresses and, and like six is it? Like we're never yeah. going to have to go to an eight or a nine or a 10. Some years ago. I tried or, 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 you know, you never know. I mean, in a right. hundred years, we all might have these things in our heads and there's six billion people and we all need an address. There's, uh, I did some analysis. I tried to figure out like how fast could we possibly run out of IPv6 addresses. And I said, all right, let's say we assign you know, a, a range of addresses to every single UPC code and every, dev every single item gets its own host address. Right, so right? the box of Cheerios I have in my house will have an, we'll IP, have an IP address. address right? let, let, let's which, assume that. Which would be ridiculous, right? But, if, but you could- Well, I don't do, who knows? So, all right, right. So, right, so for <laughs> scanning, all right, here we go. Pretend you do that and never use them again. I still couldn't. Well, you know, once the Cheerios become sentient, if each Cheerio gets an address, right? It still takes two hundred years. It was, it was, wow. you know, it was okay. crazy. Yeah. What I think is more, and by the way, there have been proposals. You know, people come in from time to time and say, "I have a better way of doing this migration and solving the IPv4 runout." And so I've got a proposal for IPv8 or IPv10 or 12 or something. They only use even numbers. I don't know why that is. I was, you know, maybe there's something unlucky with odd numbers. It could be just I, like the Star Trek. Just um, like the Star Trek movies, yeah. right? Yeah. Even numbers are only are the good ones. Um, <laughs> So I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> I, I'm sorry to make you lose your concentration. <laughs> Keep going, though. Uh, no, it's my favorite thing. Right, so you've but, had these proposals. So, so the trouble with proposals is, yeah. is they generally sort of require that you go back and touch every device and do the new protocol, right. which we're already doing that for IPv6, and we're halfway there. So yeah. why would we stop and change something else now unless you can genuinely prove it's going to be better? What I think is more likely, if I put on like my, my futurist hat and go like look off in, in the crystal balls, I say, well, you know, maybe in 10 or 20 years, we've got a different paradigm for how we do inter, you know, internet technologies. And it will be the internet. It'll be something else like that, where we're using a yeah. different address scheme or a different communication scheme entirely. But it feels like you would need to, again, do an overhaul. And, it, and, and, and the world of technology always requires that whatever new thing you do have some sort of backward compatibility to it, just so, so you're not leaving them in the dust, I, right? Or making them do more work. Yes, that's absolutely yeah. what, I would, what I would normally think. If yeah. I go really crazy, which I'm kind of known to do sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> if I went really crazy, I might say, if you started with a walled garden network that was you only need to speak to devices that did this particular thing, yeah. then you could start with a whole new addressing scheme. And so that I could imagine that happening within a data center, for instance, or within a mobile network or within an IoT system where you're only speaking with those kinds of devices. And then eventually somebody says, you know, we could build a bridge between that system and this system. And then things get messy again. And I don't yeah. know what happens then. All right, and this is this is the this is my final question for you. It's it's kind of a geeky ish. Well, not geeky ish, but That's my I, I, kind. I'm just interested. Like, how do you get involved in this? Like, how, did you like did you go to college for this? No. Is, I mean, you, I think you're you, you were telling me a little bit about your career history, and it was like, you know, how does one get interested in IP <laughs> IP addressing? I was so yeah, I was. Uh, this is from a journalist. I've always been yeah. just into journalism, into technology, but like, how do you start out and then I, I kind of fall your fall into the, this IP addressing? I didn't date much in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, no, honestly, I, I mean, I kind of, I, I kind of didn't get out much. I was a socially awkward kind of kid, 
And then I got into college and I started and, and they got me onto at, at my college. They got me onto the VAX, like the nerdy, the nerdy science okay. fiction of kids yeah. got me into onto the VAX, which was then connected to the internet. And I started meeting people from around the world who were as nerdy as I was and had the same kind of offbeat or even, you know, normal traditional interests. And I yeah. went, this is a great tool for building community, for connecting people in ways that I think people need to be connected. Yeah. I want to work on this. Okay. Unfortunately, by the time I really figured out that's what I want to do, it was my second senior year and I was not going to be able to change majors. <laughs> and so I had to kind of okay. come around the long way around. Yeah. And so I started it, you know, doing internet installations, like brand new T1s, if you're old enough to remember what a T1 is, one and a half megabits per second. Yep. Wow. Yeah. For businesses that had never been online. I was doing that at UUNet, which then was acquired by WorldCom. And so we did all kinds of, of, of things there. And I eventually took over the IP address management for that company, which was a very large company. Yeah. Um, and then I got on the Aaron board and because they said, hey, you you don't say stupid things. Maybe you should, you know, you ask interesting yeah. questions and you don't say stupid things. Maybe you could be a board member. Uh, so that's that's sort of how I got there. And then I've been, you know, sort of sticking at it for, you know, the last 25 or whatever would, years. Would you be considered a, a rock star within the IP addressing space? Because I, I, I did some research and I found some uh, seminars that you were given. There's some YouTube I've, videos out there. I don't know if you're aware of these. I, well, I, I hope nobody's recorded me without my permission. But yep. <laughs> Well, I think it was that you were giving a seminar right, somewhere. Yeah. It was in a conference room. But right. but there were a lot of, like, people were really engaging with you and they, yeah. were, they were talking about, you know, do you, do you feel like you, you know, are or is, is it really hard to ask someone if they feel like they're a rock star? All right, so I did an analysis uh, 12 years ago that was, so I'm, I'm deploying IPv6 yeah. and I'm trying to decide, do I have to do this? I think I mentioned this, right? And, and I, gave, I said, hey, other people might like the way I'm thinking about this and I should give a presentation on carrier-grade network address translation. Does it break things? What does breaking cost me? People yeah. say, that is evil. Okay, well, I'm a business guy. <laughs> like, how evil? Can I quantify yeah. the evilness in dollars? Um, right? And then compared to the cost of deploying IPv6, all right, but does that solve my IPv4 runout problem? Well, it doesn't really, because I still have to get to the things that are IPv4 only. So I can either do carrier-grade NAT or I can buy addresses. Huh. For a certain set of assumptions, it looks like buying addresses is, is a valid response. So, that's, so I went and said that to the world, and they kind of went, oh, you mean address brokers and the whole market, that's not an evil, dirty thing? It's actually a consideration? All right, yeah. great. So I was, um, when I was dating my girlfriend, okay. um, <laughs> I, I said to her, and she has not let me live this down, I said to her, <laughs> Within a very, very small space, I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> like you take a thousand people who know about IP addressing and, yeah. the, and and most of them know who I am and go, oh yeah, he's a good guy. You know, like, I, I think we're all kind of a big deal in at least in a, little a very, space. very, very, right, exactly. very, very right. small circle. Uh, Lee Howard, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It was a, like this, this was probably the most I've ever talked about uh, IP addressing in one long block, but I, 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 you I made it for another hour. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, again, thanks again for coming in. That's all the time we have for today's episode. Uh, please like the uh, video, subscribe to the channel. Uh, join us every week for new episodes of Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Thanks for watching.